0: In the name of Jesus, amen. Matthew 17, 1 says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Uh, Today we remember and celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord. In Greek, the word here is metamorphosis, the metamorphosis of the Lord. It's not that Christ became divine this day or that he discarded his humanity in this moment. Rather, he manifested his divinity through his humanity with both natures there together, seen with the eyes. Uh, So Peter, James, and John are witnesses of this. They see both natures of Christ, fully God, fully man, uh, beams of light radiating from his face out of his skin, and Jesus revealed himself in a way to Peter, James and John that he didn't reveal himself to anyone else uh, in a way that we will see him in when he returns in his second advent. Now, I'm going to come back to this point, the transfiguration of our Lord. But in order to understand why, uh, we have to understand what happened before, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 says, And after six days... Well, why are we counting? What are the six days? Six days after what? What happened? Uh, six days from this event, from Matthew chapter 16. I'll read this for you. Peter uh, confesses Jesus as the Christ. And then he says this. From The scriptures say this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's what happened six days before. So six days, this, this event happens. Then six days later, the transfiguration happens. And this is important because now you understand the context of what's, what's happening here. Uh, this tells us a lot. It's a remarkable moment. It's very informative. So what does this exchange tell us between Christ and Peter? It tells us, one tells us a couple of things. The first thing is that it tells us the reason Christ came into the world, why he came. It was not to establish an earthly kingdom or to fix the government and our taxes or to give us health, wealth and success. It was not even for him to be loved in this world. He did not come for that or to be accepted or cherished. He came to, as he said, suffer, to suffer many things is why he came. He came to be killed. He came to be rejected and then on the third day be raised. He came to be despised and rejected to suffer the wrath of God for us in our place. The reason for his incarnation is this very thing, why he came. He came to suffer and bleed out for us. That's the first thing we we learn, why the Lord came. But the second thing is this, is that it is then satanic to try to prevent Jesus from going to his cross or removing Jesus from his cross, uh, getting in the way of it. It is a sin to try to prevent Jesus from going and suffering for us. The thing, this is a thing of man. It is not a thing of God. The things of God are that he would send his only begotten son to suffer and die for us. But it is a satanic doctrine then to try and prevent that or reject that very thing. Not only to reject the event of it happening, but also the merits of it, the benefit of it, that it happened, that it was for you and so on. This is truly the the most deeply satanic and evil, demonic thing. Which tells us this is the center point of Christianity. This is what it stands and falls upon, is that very thing. Uh, That's what Satan is uh, attacking. To reject the suffering and death and to insist upon glory alone and no suffering at all. To reject the cross. Now, um, I have made an observation as a pastor over in the past eight and a half years or so. um, The observation is that uh, I've seen people try to conceive of Christ apart from his cross. I've seen that most Christians are fine with a cross. Most Christians are fine with Jesus, but they are not fine with both, with Jesus on that cross. They have an aversion to that. Um, they, they, they don't want to see them together. I've, I've seen this in uh, many observations, for example, in artwork that will separate Christ from his cross. Right? This is not something that has to be done, but it's something we shouldn't reject. Something we shouldn't uh, despise seeing with our eyes or hearing with our ears. Uh, it's a separation of Christ from his blessed death. Or uh, even hymns. We will focus on hymns that will talk about glory and great things and how amazing God is, how great he is, all of this stuff, the glory of God. But all of that removed from what? From his cross. Uh, the means by which he gives it to us and earns it for us. Uh, even services. Uh, consider this. Churches are packed. I mean, we don't have enough room on Christmas and Easter, right? No, no church. Uh, they are packed to the brim. People are trying to uh, tear down the doors for this. But it is nearly empty on Monday, Thursday, and on Good Friday. You can hardly beg people. You can hardly get people to, to come to church on those days, even if you begged them. Uh, they, part of it could be work, sure. But I don't think that's all of what's going on there. Uh, people want glory. People want to hear the good things, the nice, happy, feeling things. But they don't want to see the Lord suffer in that way. Uh, By the way, this is why I make it a point to preach Christ and him crucified every single Sunday, and most especially on Christmas and Easter, for people who try to avoid it, to say, look, you can't escape it. I will find you and get you. Um, The truth is, I don't know God apart from Jesus. And I don't know Jesus apart from his cross. Neither do you. This is how we know of the Lord and how we know his love for us. There, there's, no, there's no abstract or vague nebulous idea of the love of God. It is concrete in his cross, in his wounds. That's where you find it. So if you get rid of that, you get rid of all of it. You get rid of the glory too. Okay, the point of this is this, is that we want glory. We don't want suffering or the cross. We want Jesus, but not the cross or suffering. And this is precisely what Peter himself is going through and what he's suffering Uh, what what he's causing in this way. So back to the text, Jesus is transfigured. He's standing there on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, who died uh, thousands of years before, but they stand there alive with the Lord, with Jesus next to him, and they're talking. And this is a glimpse of heaven. They see Jesus in his majesty. The saints are alive, and it's pure bliss. It's a beautiful thing. And Peter, what? What does he do? He loves it. He loves to be there. He wants to be there in that moment. And so this is why uh, uh, Peter then uh, is, is seeing this. He's loving this moment because just six days before we're talking about all this nasty, gruesome, awful stuff about death and suffering. But now here we're far away from it. And people who have died are now alive again. And so Peter then hears Jesus and Moses and Elijah talking about something. They're talking about something very specific And the text tells us, Luke chapter 9 says, that they were talking about Jesus' exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. They were talking about his death. So there on that mountain, Peter is up there and he's loving it. And then he hears them talk about what? About going back down the mountain, going to Jerusalem to suffer and die many things again. You see this? And so Jesus is shining radiant uh, like the sun, and yet he is still thinking about his passion and his death. And I don't think Peter likes this very much because Peter then gives his own advice. And he says, it's good to be here, which means it's good to be here, Lord, as opposed to down there where you're wanting to go. Uh, I'll put up three tents here for you guys as opposed to going back down there and living where we came from. Um, Why don't we keep this heaven on earth and keep this moment going for as long as possible? And Matthew chapter 17, verse 5 says this, that while Peter is still speaking, he's still saying these ideas, God interrupted him. He cuts him off. And he says this, says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Get away from these ideas and listen to what the Lord, your, your Christ has said. In other words, don't try to prevent him. My son is doing the right thing. Don't come up with ways to try and uh, get this glory in another way. My son will go and win it for you. But you must listen to him. That is the only way. So the, the, the main point here is that Jesus wants to save us more than any of us have ever desired or wanted to be saved. He wants to wipe our tears away more than we we desire that. He wants to glorify us more than we can desire glory. And yet, he also knows how to achieve this glory. And he also knows the only way to do it, which is through his own sacrifice. In order for Christ to give us the glory of that mountain of transfiguration, he had to suffer the shame of another mountain, and that is Golgotha, Mount Calvary, where he would shed his blood for the sins of the world. Now, what does this mean for you? Uh, One thing is this. If Jesus' suffering and death was the most important thing to him, then don't you think It should be the most important thing to you in your life. (laughs) Yes. Also, the cross is not a footnote in the Christian life. It's not ancillary or a part of life. The cross is the heart and center of life. It is everything. Preaching is not, therefore, just informational. (laughs) or entertainment, or a reference to something, as if the cross and what the Lord did on His cross is somewhere in the rearview mirror, as if we talked about it, we checked it off the list, and now we're on to bigger and better things. No, it is front and center, constantly, for us. The cross, the person, and the work of Jesus is is the chief thing in the church. And so, uh, this is what, what everything is based on. The forgiveness of sins comes from this. In fact, there's nothing we do in the church that is not about his death and his resurrection. I mean, consider this. Even baptism itself is about what? His death. Romans 6 says, We were baptized with Jesus into his death. Even preaching, 1 Corinthians 2 says, Paul himself says, we, uh, He says, I've resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. He also says, We preach Christ and him crucified. Even the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11 says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, what? The Lord's death until he comes. Even the worship, the content, the the subject of our worship, or the, the object of our worship is this. Revelations 5 says, worthy is the lamb who was slain. I think one man who understood this really well was our dear brother, Dr. Martin Luther. In his lectures on the Psalms from 1519 to about 1521, he <laughs> wrote this in Latin, crux sola es nostra teologia, which is the cross alone is our theology. That's what he says. And the point that he's making here is that he's fighting a battle, that there were those who were saying that we could merit and earn glory uh, by our works, by our conduct, by our behavior. And then he asserted against that, no, only Christ on his cross can save us. Only that can earn us salvation. And only Christ cursed on a tree for us is the answer to our sin. And I want you to know that this is not simply the answer to sin. But it's the answer to everything, to all of your sin and your strife and your guilt and your shame and your anger and your sickness and death and hell and even damnation. The answer to all of these things is found only in Christ's suffering for you. If you find Christ on his cross, then you find heaven itself. In his suffering is all of our glory. It can't be removed from that. But in his suffering is also the end of our suffering. The end of all sin and sadness and grief and pain and worry and division and strife. I know, look, I know that you guys want glory. I do too. I know that you want to see an end to all of these things in life. All of the troubles and your guilt and the burdens that you carry, the strife between uh, family and friends and governments and nations. That we want to see peace, finally. We want glory. We want things to be good. We want our loved ones back with us, standing before us, with Jesus there. We want those things. And Jesus has promised those things. He will give you those things. All of those who put their faith in the Lord will not be put to shame. Soon, very soon in his time, he will glorify you. He will exalt you. And all we do is wait, because he's done it all. So you wait, and as you wait, you're afraid of nothing. You find refuge in him, and you wait for the glory of God to be revealed in you when Christ comes again. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.